Support for Connecticut East This Week comes from Thames at Mitchell College, a holistic on-campus program that helps high school graduates prepare for college through personal transformation. Go to mitchell.edu slash Thames to learn more. Day Kimball Health, nationally recognized by LeapFrog, Beckers and the American Heart Association. Day Kimball Health, healthcare in motion. Learn more at daykimball.org. And Eastcon, for high school completion, English language instruction and employment and job training services. Go to eastcon.org slash get started today. Eastcon, you've got this. New year, new you, but how's that working out and have you already given up at the gym? We talk to dietitian Jackie Durand about why that happens and what we need to do to stay on track. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. Every year as the new year approaches, we all make our New Year's resolutions. And for many of us, it's about eating better and getting in shape by going to the gym and shedding some pounds. But are we setting ourselves up for failure and unrealistic goals? For a few hardcore people, it's not impossible to stay the distance. But for many more, when the results don't show on the weekly weigh-in, our best intentions start to crumble. And you're not alone. Surveys show that up to 80% of Americans who vowed to build regular exercise into their weekly routine as a New Year's resolution have already quit by the end of January. So what can you do? I caught up with registered dietitian Jackie Durand to talk through why we fail and what the keys to success are if we want to change our lifestyles and health for good. Jackie, ever so many thanks for joining us on Connecticut East this week. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Now, of course, we're into 2024. And of course, I'm sure you see this every year as we finish the holiday season from the previous year. People's, you know, New Year resolutions are I want to lose weight. I want to do this. And, you know, we all go rushing off to the gym. And I'm sure gym organizations love all of us as we start signing up. And then it also like dissipates and, and, and wanes. Talk to us about why that happens. Why is it we feel that we can take charge of our lives for the first part of the year and then it also like just dissipates? Yeah, I think setting New Year's resolutions is very common and especially coming off holiday season where everything just feels a little bit off kilter. The start of the year and the, the few months that follow usually feel like a fresh start. So people want to get healthy in terms of eating. They want to get back to the gym and really start there and just have that specific starting point for people often is just a jumping off point, a natural starting point for people. Talk to us about some of the services that you offer, because as we said, you are a registered dietitian in private practice since 2018. We're lucky to have you. So tell us about what it is that a dietitian can help people with. Sure. Yes. So in my practice as a dietitian, I focus mostly on weight management and weight loss. And so I do virtual consultations. Maybe we've referred to it as telehealth for medical nutrition therapy. And that's really managing not only for weight loss and obesity, but also for confounding things like high blood pressure, cholesterol, diabetes management, and that sort of thing. But what I've been working on more recently is a fully online weight loss intensive program geared towards women and it helps them lose about 20 pounds through diet and exercise within the three-month period that we run the program. 
So talk to us, obviously, about some of the big issues that we face, whether we're male or female, because more and more of us are either working remotely or we're, we have sedentary jobs. And I'm sure yourself and other professionals in your arena have seen sort of a dark increase in things. What are some of the big things which are, you know, you're seeing and which are alarming you? Yes, I think the sedentary lifestyle that we're all sort of prone to at this point is really the biggest problem that we see. So we're driven more to, you know, desk jobs and sedentary behaviors like watching TV, scrolling on social media, and those things just feel natural to us. But on the same end of the spectrum with food, you know, we're prompted to pick higher calorie foods, things that taste really good, high sugar, high fat, drive through, you know, so we have all of these confounding factors in our environment that make it difficult to make healthy choices. And you almost need to go out of your way to do things that are better for your health. And what sort of age group are you seeing this impacting the most? Is there a specific age group that seems to sort of like get hit with this? Or is it all of us? It's definitely all of us. And unfortunately, it's getting younger and younger. So, you know, when I first started my business in 2018, I'd work primarily with women, probably 40, 50, 60, that were more concerned with weight gain as they were aging. But more recently, I've seen it as early as early 20s, even in the teens. And I have parents calling me about young children that they're concerned with weight and health issues as well. So unfortunately, the trend is going much younger. And it sounds like an obvious question, but, you know, what are the alarm bells there if, uh, you know, we're talking about younger people, you know, children hitting sort of like bad weight problems at an early age? What does that mean for them, obviously, for the rest of their lives? Well, unfortunately, unless there is some sort of intervention that is changing the lifestyle, they they really stand to face the same issues as they get older. And we know that, you know, if letting weight go and then developing these other problems like insulin resistance and diabetes and all of that, the earlier that happens, the worse the outcomes tend to be. So getting after these problems earlier is much better. Talking about, you know, we said as we do these New Year resolutions and we all head to the gym and we sign up and, uh, you know, for these these monthly gyms and, and whatnot and probably go for uh, maybe for January and then sort of give up. What is it that's, that's going on in our heads? What's the process, you know, because, again, as a professional that stops us in our tracks and then suddenly, you know, we just revert back to what we were doing before, which is obviously unhealthy lifestyle options. Right. Um, I think the biggest issue, especially with New Year's resolutions and just doing this big thing all at once is taking on too much. And it, it can cause a lot of burnout very quickly. If you're trying to change your entire diet and you're working out crazy hours and your whole lifestyle is changing all at once, we tend to do well with that for a, a couple of weeks, maybe even a couple of months. But then eventually we do end up falling back into old patterns. And so what I work on with my my clients is focusing in on all of those little things that you can do day to day that don't seem to take up a lot of time, don't take up a lot of mental energy, but when done day after day as a habit, really add up to great results. And mentally and from a psychological standpoint, that's much easier to manage than going way too big, way too soon all at once. 
Is it also a case of talking, obviously, food as well? You are a, a registered dietitian, so obviously you're looking at various factors, food being one of them. What is it about our food that we're just not paying enough attention to? And, and also, are we confused over foods? Because it seems like, you know, we went through periods where sugar was bad for you, then fat was bad for you. And then, you know, we, we keep shifting through these things and it becomes quite, I don't know, difficult for people to understand what they should and shouldn't have in a balanced diet. So, you know, what are some of the things that we should really be concentrating on, whether, you know, we're younger, older, male or female, when it comes to our everyday diet? Sure. Yeah, there's definitely a ton of information out there. You know, we, we live in this age where the Internet can give us any sort of information at the drop of a hat. But, you know, the information that's out there is one person's opinion. And if you're trying to mix and match all of these different opinions together, it's going to be very confusing. So what I like to focus with people on is making sure that the balance of the diet is consistent. And so if you're getting a good amount of fruits and veggies and you're focusing on less processed foods and going for proteins that are either vegetarian sources or leaner sources that have a little bit less fat, then you're going to be incorporating things that are going to be consistently better for you over time. And when it comes to carbs, yes, I do include carbs and diets as well. There's really nothing that's 100% off limits. But if you're focusing more on things like whole grains, like brown rice and quinoa and starchier vegetables like sweet potatoes, then you're going to get a better mix of nutrients, your vitamins and minerals. You're going to have some added fiber in there and you're going to stay away from the excess sugar that you may find in things like processed cereals and oatmeals and things like that. And then what about different types of diets? Because again, like I said, we, we hear about so many of these. I mean, vegetarianism has been around obviously for a very long time. Veganism has been around for a long time, but you still have to be careful even if you're choosing that particular option because some of that can still have a lot of, sort of like saturated fat. So talk to us a little bit about some of those because people think, oh, you know, I'll become a vegetarian and therefore that's more healthy, but that's not necessarily the case. True, yeah. And I've, I've had a lot of cases over the years where people say, I'm vegan, I'm vegetarian, but they're still focusing very much on high process con uh, convenience foods, which isn't necessarily good for them. So what's really interesting in the studies that we have is that no one diet is proven scientifically better than any other in terms of especially weight loss results and things like that. You may see some different confounding factors with health concerns like diabetes and blood pressure and things. But when it comes to weight specifically as your goal, the best diet that you can choose is the one that you can stick to consistently for the long run. So you can you can be successful doing a vegan or a vegetarian diet or even a keto diet or something like that if you can actually stick to it with the caveat that you're paying close attention to how any dietary changes may be affecting your health. So going to your doctor regularly, getting your cholesterol, blood pressure, blood sugars checked to make sure that everything is still healthy in that respect, then you know that that diet is best for you. And this can be quite a process. And so this is what we talk a lot about with clients is, you know, what 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 things can you do that feel good and sustainable to you? And then how is it affecting your health? And we take a look at those things over time so that they can make the best decisions for themselves. 
And then, of course, you know, we have to take into consideration that, like, it seems, and uh, perhaps it's just the fact that it's reported more now by the media, etc., but it seems that there's more, it's like, food allergies out there, or people seem to be suffering from food allergies. Things like, you know, gluten-free, or celiac disease, or, you know, you've got a dairy allergy. I mean, how do you deal with things like that? Because they are real. Correct, yeah, especially when it comes to something like celiac disease, which is a true gluten intolerance, a true gluten allergy. There are certain levels of gluten intolerance. You know, people report that it makes them feel more bloated or foggy. And those are very individual decisions. So you can certainly try to get allergy testing with your doctor if you do suspect that there is a bigger problem like celiac disease or maybe lactose intolerance for dairy products and things like that. But generally speaking, if something doesn't make you feel good to eat it, reducing it out of the diet makes sense. And that is usually the route we take is choosing foods, no matter what spectrum they fall in, that make you feel your best, most energized, most healthy, etc. The other thing as well is I think people get a little bit confused with the labeling on food items as well. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? What are the things that we should be looking for when we're actually purchasing things? Because let's face it, buying food is not cheap. It hasn't been cheap for a while. It seems to keep going up in price, but we all need to consume food and whatever to keep us um, hopefully healthy in some sort of way. So talk to us a little bit about food labeling and some of the, like, the, the things we should really be looking for. Sure. Yeah. And it's really problematic budget-wise because a lot of the whole foods and the things that are free of a lot of this excess processing that gets us in trouble is often more expensive, but not always. So, you know, if you have a budget concern in mind, it pays off to spend a little bit more time looking at items in the grocery store, finding things that do match your budget costs and your nutrition concerns. And there's a ton to talk about in terms of labeling, but I think one of the biggest drivers for health in processed foods and looking at labels is really looking at that sodium content. You can tell a lot about a food by how much sodium it has in it. So if it's highly processed, which means it's often stripped of things like vitamins and minerals and other things that are health supporting, they're adding something like salt or high sugar. That's another good good indicator too, to sort of make up for the taste and the quality of these things. And so if you're just focusing on one or two line items on your nutrition facts label, that sodium level, and maybe that line for added sugar, that is going to help you determine whether or not a food is highly processed and therefore whether it's worth it to eat nutritionally. Of course, we all use the internet. You know, I'm using the internet today to talk to you as doing a remote interview. But of course, there's all this information out there, all types of information and dieting and exercise information is, you know, just part of the plethora of stuff that hits us every day in our news feeds. It's part of the problem as well that we are being sucked into too much of this online advertising and also we see maybe individuals or people and we're trying to you know put ourselves up against them when you know the reality is we're individuals we shouldn't be trying to attain the same sort of body as you know this particular celebrity because it's probably just not going to happen correct yeah I think even as a dietitian, I am not immune to the things that pop up in my newsfeed as well. You know, I have gone down the rabbit hole of, oh, hey, maybe this is the new best diet out there. And then I have to rethink that, like from a scientific perspective and from my training as a dietitian, like what is good about 
the recommendations that I'm seeing? What can I take? What can I throw away? So like I said before, there's tons of opinions out there. Nobody is necessarily wrong, but when one person finds success doing something one way, it may not suit your lifestyle. It may not suit your health concerns and conditions and all of these other things that are unique to you. So if you do see articles and things that are intriguing to you, what I would suggest is taking a look at the information from the scientific perspective. What can you take? What can you throw away? What's going to work for you and what's not? And don't expect the same result, but it is worth some trial and error. And if you are concerned about how a specific way of eating or even exercising may affect you, consult a professional. You know, dietitians are out here because we know what the long-term impacts of some of these diets are and how that may relate to you and the decision that you're making. Same thing with personal trainers. There's exercises that are right for some people and not others. And it's you need to be cautious about how you go about doing new things. And of course, when in doubt, always check in with your doctor as well and make sure that they're clearing you for any changes in your, your lifestyle habits. One of the other things we spoke about before we started recording the interview is Ozempic, which is a drug which, again, we see touted on the internet and it's been in the press and the media as sort of something, a drug that can obviously help with weight reduction. Let's talk a little bit about that because it has shown success, but there are concerns about fake Ozempic actually on the internet. So let's just talk a little bit about that. What should people be doing, whether it's Ozempic or any other form of weight loss drug, before they consider taking it? Correct. So anytime you're considering any pharmaceutical intervention, medications like Ozempic and the like, always, always, always consult with your doctor. You should be getting a prescription for these things. These are FDA approved medications that you need to have a prescription for. And so if you can easily access something that is labeled as Ozempic or any other weight loss medication online, be very careful because it's probably not what you think it is. So go with your doctor, have a discussion about whether or not this specific medication is right for you, knowing too that a doctor will tell you whether it's going to affect other areas of your health. So there are some concerns with some of the older weight loss medications with raising blood pressure and having other side effects that may make your health even worse. And if the goal is really to improve health and your quality of life, it may not be the best option. So make sure you're having that discussion about the pros and cons, possible side effects, and how this can affect your long-term health. And a final note on that, know that any sort of medication that you may be on may help you with hunger control and the weight loss process altogether, but it is not a substitute for changes in your lifestyle, changes to your diet and exercise routine. It can help you along the way, but it's not going to solve your problem. Talk to us about uh, your website and, and your offerings as well, because I know you've got like, a, I believe, a newsletter that people can sign up to. Just give us a little bit of, uh, of information about what people can get from you. Sure. Yes. I send out a weekly newsletter, usually two to three emails. We do meal planning tips, lifestyle tips. We talk a lot about the mindset behind behavior change for weight loss and other medical changes. And I also do have a free three-day hunger curbing meal plan that you can get up get if you sign up for the newsletter. And that's all free of charge. I mean, it just helps you to put you in the right state of mind to make the changes that you're looking to make and provide you the tips and the resources that I use with my clients along the way so that you know you're going about this in a healthful, balanced way versus just looking for a quick fix. 
yeah i think that's what it is and even now and and probably even more so as we were saying with the uh, with the internet we still seem to think that there is this very quick fix and that you know we can shed those pounds very very quickly and the problem is even if we do it's not really healthy for you is it because my understanding is you know if you're going to like lose weight and maybe it's a substantial amount of weight it's something that you should do over time rather than like just suddenly shed it all because the chances are it's going to come back again and possibly you could end up in a more unhealthy state than you started. Absolutely. You know, the the quick fix ideas that are out there is usually having you do things that are pretty drastic. And, you know, aside from whatever health concerns that may bring up, if you don't have time to change your lifestyle habits in tandem with that weight loss, whenever you stop doing that one intervention, let's say it's a juice cleanse or something like that, you're likely to gain that weight right back anyway, because you're not doing the things that you need to do to maintain that weight loss to begin with. And of course, good old walking, I suppose that's all still in, is it? Despite all of these lovely gyms that, uh, you know, we can go to to work out uh, what a 30 minute walk every day can at least help to maintain our health a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. If you're not ready to commit to more intense exercise or more planned exercise at a gym, getting out for a walk, even for 15 or 20 minutes is proven to help with lowering blood pressure, reducing stress, and certainly can get you motivated to do a little bit more. So if you need to build your stamina up a little bit at a time, walking is a fantastic way to do that. Even many years into this process for myself, I'm still walking every single day. So yes, start with walking. Jackie Durand, registered dietitian. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you for guiding us and giving us some excellent tips about our health. And let's hope it's a healthy and happy 2024 for you. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. And if you want to find out more about Jackie's services and get the help you need to change your lifestyle and keep it on track, then contact her at her website, jdnutritionllc.com. Connecticut East this week is made possible by EastCon. Know someone who wants to learn English? Enroll today in one of EastCon's free English language learner programs offered virtually and in person. Learn English to get a better job, to access training or college, to help your children with school, or to prepare for U.S. citizenship. Succeed from registration to graduation with flexible classes that suit your busy lifestyle. Visit eastcon.org slash get started today and take your first step towards a brighter future. EastCon, you've got this. And Thames at Mitchell College, a college transition program on Mitchell's waterfront campus in New London. Mitchell offers a culture of radical possibilities where students with learning or processing differences can thrive, easing into college with supportive faculty and a strong social network. Within this tight-knit living and learning community, Thames students build executive functioning skills, earn college credit, learn strategies for independence, and experience transformative growth. Learn more at mitchell.edu and it's time for the quiet corner to make some noise some day kimball health noise largest employer in our region kind of noise day kimball health serves more than 125,000 people offers cardiology orthopedics and oncology specialties it's having the region's only comprehensive and accredited breast center kind of noise we are nationally recognized by leapfrog beckers and the american heart association Day Kimball Health. Healthcare in motion.
Time now for a look at other stories making the headlines this week. With the 2024 legislative session starting on February 7th, Connecticut's General Assembly is poised to take up a bill to study universal voting. Edwin J. Vieira from the Connecticut News Service reports. This is when voting isn't just a fundamental right, but required by law. Research shows the U.S. ranked 31st for global voter turnout in 2022. Some of the top-ranked countries are those with universal voting in place. The bill sets the wheels in motion by studying its efficacy before committing to legislation that approves it. Miles Rappaport with 100% Democracy, an initiative for universal voting, says this could change campaign incentives. Right now, the currency in the United States for campaigns and political parties is to gin up your own base as much as you can. Some people say it's enraged to engage and then try to depress the turnout of your opponents. Some opposition to universal voting is from people who feel the government can't force them to do anything, although jury duty is a mandated civic duty. Others argue some voters who don't care will vote without making an informed decision. But Rappaport notes a fundamental part of democracy is the ability to cast a ballot. Universal voting legislation has come before the General Assembly in previous years, although it's failed each time. I'm Edwin J. Vieira. Life is slowly returning to normal after the sudden and unexpected collapse of the former First Congregational Church in downtown New London on Thursday, January 25th. Connecticut college students living in apartments in the Manwaring building next to the church on State Street are returning after being evacuated last week when the church's steeple crashed through the main roof of the church building. Demolition of the remains of the church continue and so far the city of New London is footing the bill estimated to be in excess of $100,000. Past Mr. James Levesque, leader of Engaging Heaven Ministries, who owned the church, has vowed to reimburse the city for all expenses related to the demolition, claiming the church was insured but declined to provide any further details or information. Levesque has also set up a GoFundMe campaign for the church and is looking for $1 million to help with the associated costs. Meanwhile, Mike Passero, the mayor of New London, commented recently on the insurance situation and the church at a press conference. We are still investigating the insurance history on this particular property so we don't we can't answer that question right now demolition of the church is all but complete and vernon scow the city of new london fire marshal said they're continuing to investigate the matter and cannot say at this time what caused the collapse right now no we don't have a clear definition of the chain of events that led to the to the collapse we know what happened in a collapse we saw damage but we don't understand what the initial trigger for the collapse was. And we may or may not know. We can rule out it is not an explosion. Once demolition is complete, the city say they will fence off the remains of the church and the rubble and hand the property back to Engaging Heaven Ministries for them to deal with it further. And a new development in the church story is the former wife of Pastor James Levesque of Engaging Heaven has decided to talk to the media about Levesque and her years with him and his behaviour towards her and their children and says people need to know the truth about him. The Office of Governor Lamont and the Connecticut Department of Transportation has awarded 10 rural towns in Connecticut $9 million in state grants to upgrade transportation and safety in their communities. The grants have been released through the Transportation Rural Improvement Program, or TRIP, a newly created state program designed for rural municipalities who are often ineligible for many federal transportation programs. The seven eastern Connecticut municipalities awarded grants are Coventry for pedestrian safety improvements, 
Haddam for the Haddam Centre sidewalks, Hampton and the resurfacing of the airline trail, Hebron for Jones Street improvements, Preston for Mathewson Mill Road rehabilitation, Stafford and the Leventhal Run multi-use path construction project, and Voluntown for the Voluntown Village sidewalk extension. Global pharmaceutical giant Pfizer, who has its largest research and development centre in Groton, has released its full-year 2023 financial results and its 2024 financial guidance. The company reported its full 2023 revenues totaled $58.5 billion, down 42% from the previous year. Pfizer reports the decline in revenue is due to a downturn in their COVID-19 vaccines and products, which caused a 41% operational decrease. However, the company did report a 7% operational increase driven by a combination of new product and indication launches, as well as inline product growth. Pfizer's revenues took a dramatic increase in 21 and 22 during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic due to their vaccines, which were used worldwide to help combat the virus. In 2021, Pfizer's revenues totaled over $81 billion and in 2022 rose and hit a high of just over $100 billion. The company has also recently completed the purchase of a cancer drug company, Cgen, for $43 billion. Pfizer has instigated a worldwide company realignment program to help it save around $4 billion by the end of 2024, a figure it says it's on its way to achieve through hundreds of job layoffs and facility shutdowns in the US and in other parts of the world where it has a physical presence. In Groton, layoffs have occurred and the company has continued to refuse to state how many jobs will go at that facility. The company also recently listed around three acres of land it has at its Groton campus for sale, further calling into question Pfizer's commitment to the town, which Pfizer has not commented on. The total asking price for the land for sale is just over $1 million. That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at connecticut-east.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East This Week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms on demand and by asking your smart speaker to play Connecticut East This Week podcast. And please like, follow and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott Smith. Thank you for listening. (music) 